This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast from the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 15, using Nimbix to realize high-performance computing in the cloud, and a look at ANSYS Discovery Live for thermal simulation. Welcome to episode 15 of the All Things ANSYS podcast with PADT. And uh, today we're going to continue our, uh, our it's a two times in a row, I guess it's a trend. We're going to have an outside uh, person that we work with. Uh, we have somebody from Nimbix to come and talk to us about that wonderful uh, service that they provide. And then we're also, like last week, going to talk a little bit more about Discovery Live. And this time we're going to talk about the thermal capabilities in the tool. So an update on the podcast itself. This is our 15th episode, as I just said. So we have 14 out there, and we're we're close to 3,000. We have 2,984 downloads as of uh, noon today. So hopefully uh, we'll get a few more before the end of the day. And that puts us at uh, 213 per episode, which is a small uptick. So we're hoping that by uh, talking to folks like the folks from Nibix and the folks from Ansys, we'll get more people aware of our podcast and more people listening. i got to believe there's more than... 200 some people interested in ANSYS. Um, and uh, the other thing that's different about this podcast is that we are all on WebEx. Uh, and we're not going to be sitting around the room banging on a table and having air conditioners go on and off. So hopefully the sound quality will be a little bit better uh, for everybody. So let's go ahead and get started. Uh, our first topic is going to be Nimbix. So I, I won't describe it because I'll probably get it wrong. But uh, briefly, I won't describe it in detail, but briefly, it is a cloud-based service for doing high-performance computing. And we use it here to run our ANSYS models, and we also recommend it to customers. So we really like it a lot. It's been a good solution for us. And uh, that's why we thought we'd have the Nimbix folks on to, to, to educate everybody, including ourselves, a little bit more about the product. Manoj is on the line from our LA office as well, and he has used it probably more than most of us to, to do work and with customers. So he's here as well to get started. So I want to, oh, you know what I forgot? We didn't do introductions. I'm not reading my own agenda. So before we jump into that, um, I would like Adil Noor to introduce himself from Nimbix. Why don't you get started there? Sounds good. Uh, thank you, Eric, and uh, thanks, uh, PADT for having Nimbix uh, on the call here. Uh, my name is uh, Adil Noor. I am the sales and application engineer here at Nimbix. And uh, I guess uh, just a really high 10,000 foot overview of, of Nimbix is that, you know, we were founded back in 2010 and, and our goal and our mission statement was to make HPC as easy as possible. And uh, we built a platform called Jarvis to do just that. So uh, uh, several things that do differentiate us. We can kind of get into that more a little bit later, but um, you know, within a matter of just a, a few clicks, like four or five clicks, you can build a cluster from 16 cores all the way up to 2,000 cores, uh, deploy it in a matter of seconds, and then start your FEA and, and start running answers. So that's, that's really the, the beauty of Nimbix, and that's hopefully what we're here to talk a bit more about today. Great. So we also have uh, Ted on the line. Ted, wants to do a quick introduction? Yeah, so this is Ted Harris. I manage our simulation support group here at PADT. Been an ANSYS user for 30 plus years and looking forward to learning more about Nimbix today. And Mr. Manoj. Yeah, so this is Manoj Mahendran. I'm the lead application engineer here in uh, our LA office. Um, I've been at PADT for about five years, and like Eric said, I've had some 
pretty strong experience with using Nimbix for some of our use cases and for customers, and I'm excited to talk about that with Adil today. And then Tom. And this is Tom Chadwick. I'm one of the CFD support engineers here. I've been here for about four years, and I've been doing CFD for about the past 30 years in a variety of industries. And of course, my name is Eric Miller. I'm one of the owners here at PADT, and I've been using ANSYS for uh, more time than I'd like to admit, um, and uh, 30 plus years now. And uh, I apologize for being scatterbrained today. I totally have written in front of me the agenda, and I skipped over the introductions. But so let's now that we've uh, made up for that, uh, it was really good to hear a little bit of an introduction about about what Nimbix is. Um, so what in a little bit more detail. Uh, why don't why don't you explain to us what from a from a kind of a hardware and uh, user interaction standpoint how Nimbix is different than say AWS? Sure, great question. So uh, one of the major differences between Nimbix and some of the other cloud providers out there is the fact that we own the equipment. We we actually are not you know a, a secondary you know we're, we're not using extra capacity or other machines that are sitting out there, these machines were purpose-built for HPC. So mm -hmm. that's, I think, one of the primary things that really differentiates us. And because of that, we've developed this uh, platform called Jarvis, which focuses only on that. And when users come in, they, they see a very clean and, and nice interface. They log in through the web, uh, any web platform, Internet Explorer, Firefox, whichever one they want. And they can just, once they log in, click on the different applications that we have pre-built and ready to go on the cloud. So all of the ANSYS suite is there. Uh, you can pick uh, the electronics, fluent, uh, mechanical. You can pick workbench. And then once you pick that, uh, it takes you to a secondary screen where you can just build your cluster. And our basic node that we have is a 16-core, 128-gigabyte machine. Uh, and then we have a variety of other machines, including 256 gigs of RAM and 512 gigs of RAM, and uh, a variety of different uh, machines available for uh, things outside of HPC. Uh, obviously, we do more than just simulation, but uh, uh, we have FPGAs, GPUs, a variety of other things that, that other uh, uh, industries use. But for the, FP, uh, the uh, FEA and the, and the simulation side of it, the uh, N3s is what we call them, the basic node, the 16-core 128 is the basic node, and then you can add more RAM to that and then build your cluster. And uh, one of the other big differences that I want to touch on is the fact that you're getting the entire bare metal machine. We uh, uh, don't use any hypervisors, so that's the reason why we increment in 16. So if you want a single node, you get 16 cores. If you want two, you get 32. You're not going to get a virtual machine, you get the entire machine. Uh, there is no shared tenancies. And then uh, the last big differentiator between us and a lot of the others is that uh, along with these machines that we have, we have the 56 gigabytes of FDR and Cinnaban that connect these machines. And that gives you a, a extremely low latency uh, between the machines. And then you've got that 100 gigabyte uh, uh, backbone that connects everything. So. All of that together is what you're getting uh, with Nimbix. Cool. So that, and that, that certainly has been was our experience in the past. Is the hassle e either either we were running on a virtual machine, which 
doesn't work well with most simulation applications, or the interconnect was Ethernet, or it was a real pain in the butt to get everything spun up and going. So, um, and it's not time sharing, right? We're not we're not just calling an old uh, time sharing system, the cloud, and submitting to a batch queue and getting in there when we want to get in there. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, you are you are running. You know, that's the the beauty of Jarvis is that it actually does all that for you. So, okay. you know, a lot of times, uh, if you're using some of the other providers, you actually need to know how to connect those machines. Um, I was talking to a, another customer where they were actually talking about how they'd have to close uh, security ports and, and things like that to make sure that their data doesn't get exposed to the outside world. We naturally are built with security in mind. You know, So you don't have, uh, any of these machines don't have access to the open world out there unless you manually go in there and try to create that connection and and uh, reach out, these are not findable. You can't find these machines by a Google search. Okay. So a lot of different things that were you know, thought about and uh, put into play here to make sure that you know, engineers can just get on, build a cluster, focus on their work, and not worry about you know, the, the networking and the back end of things because that's not what they need to be doing. They need to focus on their work. So that's, that's kind of the goal here. Good. Good. That's. Are most of your customers using it for surge, where their in-house uh, capabilities have been exceeded, or or do they they have such a big job? I guess surge would be everything's busy, and then the other would be um, where they're just going ahead and using Nimbix for most of their simulation. Where where are the users these days? I would say it's it's a pretty good mix. Um, about I would say half the people do use it for surge. Uh, mm -hmm. when they have overflow and they want to burst to the cloud and get mm -hmm. things done. Uh, the other half um, is uh, users are people who have large enough uh, FEA. They've, they've made their uh, resolution uh, of their mesh sizes large mm -hmm. enough and more detailed that they can't run it internally. So they right. do need a larger, more powerful machine to run it, and that's where they can come to us and, and run it on the cloud. Okay, both, both situations. Uh, anybody else have any questions? I'm, I'm dominating here. Um, what kind of uh, throughput do you have to the Internet? Because I know one of the big issues a lot of times with cloud services is that it's all well and good to be able to solve your problem, but then once you're done, retrieving the files back to your local computer to post-process them sometimes can be prohibitive. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, that's, that's definitely one of the, the major issues and hurdles that's still out there for cloud computing. So uh, we do have a one gigabyte upload download speeds within our data center, so it is phenomenally fast. Uh, usually it's on the client side that the limit is. And uh, right. for that reason, um, a lot of our, our slower connection locations, we've got a couple of uh, European users, uh, you know, they've got a pretty slow connection. They actually run the FEA, and then they get on and use our GPU machines to do the post-processing on the cloud. So it's kind of a okay. nice feature to have, and, and you can, you know, instead of trying to run through your browser, you can VNC remote into these machines and get that full screen feeling and uh, work as though it's your local machine and then do okay. the post-processing on the cloud. That's good. So, so how do you charge? Is it per CPU second? Is, uh, you know, what, what's the, the, the units that you count by? Uh, great question. That's another, I think, differentiator that, that we have here at Nimbix. Uh, um, you know, 
us was something that, that we've thought a lot about and we wanted to make it simple. So we've made it as transparent as possible. And the way that works is um, we do only charge down to the second. We don't round up to the next hour or anything like that. And the cost that our sales team provides out to users is, is very heavily dependent. You know, they put a quote together and things like that based on the overall usage, but it is a cost per core hour. So our standard cost, like right now, if you just get on and it's a small user and they plug in their card and go, they're putting in about 15 cents per core hour. And that pretty much is all the cost that they see. There's really no upload or download cost. Uh, there's no cost for the 500 gigabytes of data storage space that we give users. Uh, there's no account maintenance cost. Uh, you know, if they need the licenses uh, hosted, we will host them for you or we can connect to your licenses. And again, there's no cost for that. So the only time that we're really charging anybody is when they're holding onto a machine and they're actually running a job. So other than that, there's really no cost. So when you look at and try to do an apples to apples comparison with some of the other providers out there, it gets very convoluted. You know, there's an upload cost, there's a, a license hosting cost, there's a, you know, a transfer cost, a download cost. There's all these things and we've eliminated all that. It's, it's when you're holding a machine and running, that's the only time Nimbix is charging. Other than that, you, you don't have any other charges. That sounds a lot simpler. I like that. Absolutely. <laughs> easy, easy, easy. Um, Manoj, you've used it. I mean, what's what's your impression of the user experience? I love it. Um, you know, to be honest, uh, you know, what Adil is saying is, is, is kind of why I like it, is the fact that what they've done is they said, okay, we're going to provide a high-performing HPC cluster setup, right? And that's important. You always need to have performance. But the other aspect of it is how the user interacts with this cluster. And the way that Jarvis, the Jarvis platform has, has been developed, it takes all the effort from the user. And really, it takes just a couple of clicks. You choose how many nodes you want, how many cores you want to solve on, and you hit go. A machine pops up. And even more than that, all of the ANSYS settings to define how many cores you want to solve on, what machines you solve on, all of that's pre-configured during uh -huh. the ANSYS. Like it pops up with ANSYS, and even ANSYS is configured to do all the machine information, which I think is unique. Yeah. Um, you know, usually you'll get the obviously people have ANSYS on their install on their clusters, but then the user still has to go in and configure the mm -hmm. solution manager to solve on all these different nodes. You have to find out what all the machines are, how many cores are on each machine. All of that's taken care of by Jarvis, which is awesome. So really, like Adil said, the point of it is to just let the user run, <laughs> let the user solve. Um, so I really like it. Um, the, the other thing that I've been pleased with in my kind of experiments with customers and for my own uses is how fast the interaction is from an interface standpoint with the actual machine itself. Um, I've actually looked at results um, while on a Southwest Wi-Fi connection. That's before. impressive. <laughs> um, and I was actually pleased that I could actually monitor my solution um, from that connection. Um, but again, even like Adil said, you know, with the VNC connection, uh, post-processing, you know, a lot of people have this fear that post-processing on the cloud means that my mouse is going to be jumping all over the place. You know, I'm going to get pixelated graphics and all that stuff. And that's really not the case. I've had really great experiences with post-processing. Um, but this kind of begs up another point, right? Is this kind of, we have to change this mindset 
mm-hmm. of clusters as only being used for solving and think of it more as you know a platform where we can pre-process and solve and post-process all at the same time uh, instead of having to transfer data back and forth. So do you run, say, Workbench or, or Ansys Mechanical and then submit, or do you do that locally, create a batch file and submit that? Yeah, I think the great thing about Nimbix is that it offers both, right? It, it gives you that functionality to submit batch jobs um, mm-hmm. to uh, Nimbix through APDL or mm-hmm. CFX or Fluent, or you can just do it inter- interactively. So for people who just want to, like I said, they can pre-process, they can set up the model exactly how you would do on your own machine, just on Nimbix, and that'll work exactly the same way. Um, so I think that's the benefit is they give you that full flexibility for whatever ANSYS product you want to solve in batch or interactive mode that makes it super simple. Cool. And so so you mentioned earlier, Adil, that, that you started in 2012. Uh, how, how big is the, the cluster now and any, any statistics you want to share? Since we're engineers, we love statistics. Sure, sure. I, I apologize. I may have misstated that earlier. Uh, Nimbus was actually founded in 2010. And, okay. And uh, we've been around, yeah, for uh, about eight years, a little bit over eight years now. Okay. And, okay, I got the name. Uh, um, you know, we've grown phenomenally. I mean, we've picked up some amazing, you know, uh, Fortune 100 companies now that are doing some more work on the cloud. Uh, we've got uh, customers in about 68 different countries now. Nice. And uh, uh, it's it's really been a, a pretty amazing growth. I mean, just recently, as of uh, yesterday, we actually added a, a significant amount of new uh, compute horsepower to the cloud, to our cluster. So uh, these are our, our newer machines and uh, uh, the Skylake processors, and uh, they're tremendously uh, uh, light and fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's something that, that we're excited to get deployed and have uh, our customers start using. I'm sure I'll be getting requests to start running on from, from our people to start solving over there now as well, because that's going to be a lot faster. That's incredible. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, new, the new processors are so fast. Um, the only other question I think I had is, and maybe this is something that, that Ted or Manoj can answer, but you know, the, one of the issues for us ANSYS users is um, getting the licensing up and running. And you had mentioned that you know you can host it or we can point to our license server. But uh, is there anything you want to add to how easy that is or how hard it is, Manoj? Yeah, I mean, for our, for our use cases here at PADT, we uh, Nimbix hosts a license for us, okay. Uh, okay. which makes it just simple all around. And honestly, all it takes is me emailing one of the support guys at Nimbix, here's the license file, can you upload it for me, and that's it. <laughs> um, again, there's no effort from the user to have to worry about is this configured properly or you know, all that stuff is taken care of by these guys, uh, which makes it pretty awesome. So they can go with uh, getting a, a lease to run over there. They can move one of their licenses from their machines over there, or they could even use Elastic licensing. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, I don't think it matters, and maybe Adil okay. can can describe some of his experiences. But whether it's uh, you know, one of their own licenses that they want to move, um, you know, for the for a period of time, or a lease license, or elastic units, it doesn't really matter um, what license uh, you use. Uh, and again, like Adil said, they can either connect to the VPN and mm-hmm. use our licenses, or they can host a portion of your licenses over there themselves. Great. And we have customers that host all their licenses on Nimbix. Oh really? Right. Okay. Yeah. So 
cool. So that because that, that was always a, an issue, you know, years ago that getting the licenses working. So that seems to be so, another thing that was solved. Um, anybody else have any other questions? How about operating systems available? Yeah, good. So right now, um, all of our cluster that's in our data center operates uh, on Linux infrastructure. And, and uh, recently, as of last October, uh, we've gotten, I want to say, two, I think we're working on the third uh, beta customer for Windows. So we're looking to deploy that most likely uh, mid part of this year. And uh, the goal is to have it as seamless, as easy to use uh, through the Jarvis uh, interface. So, you know, you just pull down and instead of just selecting, you select the machine just like you normally would select. And then there's just one more bar that allows you to select whether you want to operate on a Linux environment or a Windows environment. So that's the goal that we're going towards later this part of this year. But right now everything is Linux until that gets deployed. Yeah, and I just wanted to add on to that. Um, Adele, I'm not sure if you actually knew or not. So I've actually beta tested the Windows node as well. And I've been also equally pleased with the performance in terms of uh, interactively uh, using Ansys or just Windows in general um, on this uh, new beta cluster. So, so it seems to me that it's fairly safe to say that if you've been holding off on solving in the cloud, uh, well, actually, before I make this statement, let me ask one more question. So you mentioned all these countries, you mentioned you know remote connections and blah, blah, blah. What about security? Everybody always wants to know about security. What if I'm working with ITAR stuff? What, what's your, your stance on that? What's your policies on that? Great question. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, I think that's one of the biggest concerns of any of our customers that comes and talks to us. They've always asked that specific question. So all of the machines, uh, let me talk a little bit more about the, the physical infrastructure, mm -hmm. and then I'll talk a little bit more about the, the software side of it as well. But uh, all of our machines are located uh, uh, in the data center here. That's uh, uh, literally, it's, it's locked down. It's got mm -hmm. armed security outside. Uh, you know, you have to do two-factor biometric uh, authentication to get in. And, uh, uh, you know, so literally nobody's getting into this data center unless they're supposed to be there. And uh, also the facility itself has a significant amount of backup. Uh, they guarantee 100% of the time. So they've got months of power and, and all sorts of, of backups to make sure that it never will go down. Um, along with that, you know, we, we are IPAR certified. Uh, we, we are not security uh, uh, the uh, top secret is what I'm looking for. Right. So uh, not top secret, but IPAR uh, certified. So mm -hmm. we do have a cage code and we can handle uh, government work. Uh, we do have SSA SOC uh, 2 certification as well. And uh, uh, we, we actually do handle a couple of uh, medical customers as well and are HIPAA compliant as well. Okay, so great. That's uh, the security certification side of it. Um, all of our, our applications are run inside of an individual container. So that's really how the Jarvis system operates. Uh, a user comes in, they're isolated, they work inside of their own container, they'll never run into anybody else, they'll never run into somebody else's data. You won't even know if anybody else is on. So. Mm -hmm. We don't share machines. You know, you are getting an individual full machine. You're getting a bare metal 16-core machine or, or, you know, if you want two nodes, 32, and so on and so forth. So those type of, of security features have been, have been implemented for this purpose because we do realize that a lot of our users 
are a little hesitant about getting on the cloud, and we want to make sure that we address all of these items. Cool. Yeah, that was the I, I I didn't ask that question because I I knew that it was pretty secure because we had gone through that with a couple of customers, but I did want to cover it. Um, me knowing it doesn't help everybody else listening, so <laughs> I'm glad we yeah. did cover that. Um, so so what I was going to say is when we when we looked at running the cloud in the past, and our customers looked at running the cloud in the past, uh, the the issues that we ran up against were security. It was too expensive, it was too slow, and it was a pain in the butt to get set up and running. And it seems like you guys have addressed every single one of those. So it's it seems, I guess, my recommendation to those listening that have maybe hesitated uh, to go out to the cloud for HPC because we are doing something totally different than your accounting software running in the cloud or your sales uh, customer relationship manager running in the cloud. This is HPC. But, but the reason why we use Nimbix is because we feel like they got all those things right, and and we we can actually run quickly, efficiently, without a lot of hassle, if any, and that it it is secure. So we've been we've been really happy. Um, is there anything else anybody else wants to to add on before we move on? Just real quick, one question about the file storage is: Are the files stored locally on? the box where the cores are, or do you have a central file server that the core machines access and use like a scratch space while they're running? Yes, uh, they are uh, isolated. So let me let me see if I can explain the how the, the whole Jarvis operating system works. Uh, what it does is when somebody executes a command that they want a 32-core cluster, it's first going to go out to our data center. It's going to grab two machines, each with 16 cores. It's going to connect them together with the FDR and Finibans. Uh, each of these machines has one terabyte of local scratch space on them, okay. but those are only for just local scratch space. Your 500 gigabyte data storage is on a separate server. That 500 gigabyte folder gets mounted to this cluster once these two machines are connected with FDR and Finibans. Now, all of that cluster with your mounted storage is what is presented to you through the Jarvis interface. And then when you see that little window there and you click on it, you're accessing the first machine, the second machine is the slave behind that first, and all of that cluster is mounted onto your 500 gigabyte folder. Cool. Okay. So it is, it is a separate machine, it is a separate server, but it is also located inside of our same data center. Okay. Cool. That makes sense. Um, uh, was the last thing I was going to say before we moved on was, oh, if someone's interested in running on Nimbix, uh, they can certainly reach out if they want some uh, some technical engineer-to-engineer uh, -engineer advice. They can certainly reach out to us. But if they want to talk to the Nimbix folks, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. They can uh, reach out to us at support at nimbix.net. Uh, and that should uh, get sent to all of the support team along with myself, and then I can uh, definitely respond and, and uh, push it to the right person. Okay. And if you want a salesperson to call you, just go to the website and click on the link, and I'm sure they'll be right on right on it. Yep, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, well, I really appreciate it. I learned a lot that I didn't know. Um, I wish I, I, the only sad part I have is that I don't really run any real analysis anymore, so I can't play with it. I really wish, really wish I could compare it to the days of running on a Cray over a modem. 
back back in the 80s. So uh, I'm sure we've come a long way. <laughs> uh, any, I guess, like I said, uh, really appreciate your time and everybody else's great questions. And uh, we'll 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 try to have you back in a little bit, uh, six months to a year, and and do a follow up and see what uh, what's new and different in the world of Nimbix as as it continues to grow and expand, and we get more experience with it as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, having me on, and uh, definitely excited to see more more people on and, and see where we're going to go from here. Excellent. Very good. So with the, with the end of that discussion, we're going to go ahead and take a little break to listen to one of our silly little commercials about uh, spending more money with PADT so we can pay for more microphones. And we'll be right back. Ugh, hey, Linda. I've been trying to run these simulations all day, but the stupid computer isn't fast enough. I know, Dave. I wish IT would give us better computers. Oh, you know, that reminds me. A friend of mine was saying that he got a simulation computer from some place called PADT. Hmm. What's so special about it? Well, I guess they have this program called the Cube Computing Solutions, where they, they custom build simulation computers just to fit your needs, with whatever you want, whatever graphics card you need, the amount of cores you need, whatever works best for you. Huh. How do I get one of these? Well, if I remember him correctly, he said you go to www.padtinc.com cube. I think that's right. Huh. Maybe we should tell the IT guy about this. Yeah, maybe we should. So welcome back from the commercial. That was a great discussion, uh, and uh, do do check out Nimbix. We 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 get approached by a lot of people um, who are offering different kinds of cloud services, and and Manoj and, and and Tyler and I think some other folks looked at a lot of different ones, and we we they're all good, but we really like the Nimbix solution. It's really worked well for us, so we're strong strong advocates of it. Um, so next topic is going to be talking more about Discovery Live, and we, we covered it last week. We talked a, a little bit about it, and this week we're going to talk about thermal modeling. And the reason why we're picking that topic is that uh, Manoj and others are giving a webinar on Wednesday, which if you go to our website, you can register for uh, on, on thermal simulation with uh, Discovery Live, and, and all these webinars will be stored on the BrightTalk server that we use for sharing these webinars. So if you missed the first one, you can check that out as well. So a little bit of background. If you are new to the idea of Discovery Live or forgot what it is, it is a new platform that allows you to do uh, upfront simulation, thermal, stress, vibration, CFD, and some other physics coming along as time goes by, almost in, if not in real time, very close to real time. And the way it works is uh, it's a separate solver that uses GPUs to, to so we, we formulate the problem in terms of massively parallel, uh, a, a numerical method that takes advantage of massively parallel solvers. So we give up a little bit of refinement from a solution standpoint, but in the end, what we do is we get almost real-time response by solving on that GPU. So now that our matrix can be going ahead and put over there and solved uh, uh, on, on multi, many, many thousands of, of uh, lines at the same time, we can get a much faster answer, and it's really kind of cool how it works. So that's a little bit of an introduction. So when it comes to thermal, uh, Manoj, why don't you give us a little bit of background of, of what kind of thermal analysis is supported in Discovery Live and uh, any, any feedback on those different physics, uh, uh, the thermal physics that are available. Yeah, so, you know, Discovery Live, uh, what it aims to do is to let users solve conduction and convection problems 
on I'd, I'd probably say like small to medium parts, you know, so uh, you know not radiation yet, um, but again conduction and convection, and we're looking at basically structural thermal, right? Mm -hmm. We're not we we obviously have solutions in Discovery Live for uh, fluid thermal, but really the focus of what we're talking about today is in the structural thermal world. Um, but it has really, like Eric said, it's really easy to use. The idea here being um, what kind of heat transfer am I getting throughout the parts? Uh, how much heat transfer am I getting out of the part or into the part? And again, modifying geometry, modifying boundary conditions, and being able to instantly see how the temperature changes, um, which is pretty awesome and pretty, makes it really easy to, to go and design and optimize a part for temperature and, and thermal distribution. Um, you know, one of my favorite aspects of Discovery Live, and it doesn't necessarily tie directly into thermal, is the ability to look at a chart of design point variations. Mm -hmm. So basically, as soon as you change something, the chart will update and reflect like a new variation. You can see whatever you're monitoring. So let's say you're doing temperature in this thermal analysis. If I, if I extend a geometry or extend a face or drop the, the watts for a, a CPU or something like that, instantly you'll see the graph change. So at some point you can see, okay, I'm going in the right direction, or you know what, the variation that I had two times ago was the actual, you know, more optimal solution, which makes it pretty nice. Very cool. So, so the, one of the things that that we're seeing in the product development side of our business, where we help people design products, as well as our consulting for simulation, is you know, people putting more electronics in smaller places or more efficient electric motors or we're, we have a heat problem. We're creating a heat problem. And so uh, a lot of times when we get invited to the table to look at these things, it's it's just a heat management issue. And I don't know if you guys agree with this, but it seems like if they had used Discovery Live when they were doing their preliminary design, they could have discovered a lot of these issues fairly easy up front. It's, it's that kind of a what if kind of tool, isn't it? You mean discovered with Discovery Live? Yes, 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 exactly. <laughs> the marketing people were thinking. I never, I never made that connection. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. I mean, with with with, with thermal problems, right? The idea is um, at least preliminary in the preliminary design process is understanding which way the heat's flowing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and being able to capture that from a tool that takes a quarter of a second to half a second to solve with very little input is, is I think, is significant. Um, what do you think, Ted? I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, just being able to have that rapid, almost, well, essentially instantaneous feedback on changes you make, whether to the geometry, to the boundary conditions, it's really just incredible how fast you get information back. Yeah, so so we one of the problems we run into is that we get involved in these design projects where we're doing testing on on a product and it's overheating and you know the the tooling's already made. So if they had done some basic thermal simulation, understanding the the, the fundamental heat flow, it doesn't have to be super accurate, right? It's just I, I'm creating 12 watts, I can only dissipate five watts, I got a problem here. <laughs> Whether it's five or six watts, you still got a problem. Um, you know, just uh, having the geometry tools and space claim to be mm -hmm. able to maybe change the, mm -hmm. the packaging of whatever that device is, is sitting in just to, mm -hmm. you know, 
see what happens to the those high temperatures just by controlling things that you or changing things that you can't control. Even though there's some aspects that maybe it's uh, too late or infeasible to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we uh, I do recommend those listening that have not seen a demo to to take a take a look at the webinar that Manoj is going to be doing or one of the previous ones because. It, to me, it's kind of uh, an eye-opener to, to – I don't know if you're going to be showing a heat sink, Manoj. Is that part of the demo? Yeah, I'm going to be doing a couple different demos, but the, the one is going to be a heat sink model. So to me, that's that's just a classic of how you know we'd spend a, maybe a day or two just getting a – exploring the design space on a heat sink for a customer, whereas now you can do that in, in, in like an hour or so, just kind of playing around in space claim and seeing if I use this shape or I change this geometry or I have five rows versus three rows. It's pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when it comes to heat sinks, right, um, surface area is huge, right? Yeah. Actually knowing exactly or understanding how you want to uh, increase the surface area. Do you want to do flat heat sinks? Do you want to do circular heat sinks? All of these kind of things, like, yeah, it's it's great to kind of do a full-end simulation to do a validation study, but why? I mean, there's this easy-to-use, hey, I just mock up something, hit hit run, quarter of a second, right, and then you get the solution. And, you know, a couple of things I wanted to touch on was yeah. with discovery was, you know, I always like to say quarter of a second to half a second because people hear the word instantaneously and they kind yeah, of it's go, complete. oh, it's stupid. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not going to even do it, be anything like what you're talking about. But, no, it's legitimately it takes a quarter of a second to half a second to run a simulation, uh, which is fantastic in my opinion. And the difference is really the capability of the NVIDIA graphics card mm -hmm. that you have on your computer. So. Yeah one with less video RAM is going to take a little longer than one with more video RAM. But even down at the, you know, the lower end of the scale, you know, even if it's half a second, it's still incredibly fast. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I've been running most of my examples and for customers on my laptop, you know, it's a, what is it? A $1,700 laptop mm -hmm. <laughs> and it runs perfectly fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of our customers like, Oh, you know, we have to get a supercomputing or, you know, Tesla card and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, obviously like Ted said, the better graphics card you have, the quicker it's going to take. But again, we're talking about the difference between maybe taking, a, you know, a 10th of a second to a half a second. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's great. Well, and the user may, in the future especially, be a design or product engineer rather than a full-time simulation engineer, and they they're going to benefit from a faster graphics card for the CAD side of things anyway. So it's a it's a win-win there. Yep, absolutely. I mean, the same guys are that you know will take advantage of Discovery Live are also doing the CAD modeling, right? And mm -hmm. so again, it's pretty seamless for them. So what what was the biggest surprise for you, either of you, when you started using the thermal side of Discovery Live? Um, I don't know if I would necessarily I, I'd say a big surprise. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I mean it's just easy. You know, I always thought that thermal simulations were easy in the first place. Yeah, they're the easiest. Uh, well, don't, no, there's, hopefully there's no thermal engineers on the call. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But I always found, you know, in Ansys Mechanical, right, thermal yes. simulations are, are pretty straightforward. Yes. Right? And I never – I guess the one thing I'd say is I didn't think it, would, it, could, it could get easier. <laughs> but it, <laughs> but it, it was. <laughs> but it did, right? And, yeah. and, again, the idea here is, you know, how many of us 
deal with uh, conduction and convection problems compared to also needing radiation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the majority of problems out there um, that a lot of our customers do are conduction and convection, right? And so yeah. the idea is you have this tool that is super easy to use. It, it mixes in that design aspect, right? The, the actual geometry and the boundary conditions. And then, again, you have that capability of modeling heat transfer. I mean, that's what, mm-hmm. you know, we really don't need much else. Yeah. Yeah, one degree of freedom. Yay. You know, I'm going to be a little embarrassed by this question because I should know the answer to it, but I'm befuddled today for some reason. Is there multi-physics in that I can do thermal stress at this point, or is that coming later? Yeah, I I, I don't think – I mean, you can't do it right now. Okay. um, uh, But I'm sure they're thinking about ways to do that in in the roadmap for sure. Yeah, that'd be a, well, that'd be a logical next step. I haven't done this, but there is a path to go from Discovery Live into AIM. Okay. And that, you know, I don't know, Manoj. Maybe you can comment on what what's available if you follow that path. Do you know? Yeah, I think. Uh, so the idea there is, you know, one of the things that people, our customers, try to figure out is what is ANSYS thinking, right? When they come out with these tools and these different uh, areas of of tool expertise, and the idea here is. It's all ANSYS, right? It's one ANSYS. They don't want people to have to juggle between the tools and start over from scratch every time. So the idea is that from Discovery Live, which is kind of our our preliminary design and analysis tool, you can take that model that you created or that you modified, and let's say you now you want to do a more complicated analysis. Again, thermal stress, conjugate heat transfer, you know, much more complicated. You can take that model directly into AIM, and now you have this again another easy to use tool but with the power of the traditional ANSYS solvers behind it, right? And actually now you can go from AIM then, and you can go from AIM to mechanical or fluent now. So now you have this end-to-end workflow essentially of being able to transfer geometry information, mesh information from one tool to the next so that you can keep on adding complexity in terms of the simulation without needing to start over from, from scratch every single time. Very good point. You're not, you're not getting going down a dead end at all. So the, the capabilities are there, and as they add more capabilities, um, so right now it's it's really multiple physics, and multi physics will be coming hopefully soon. You never go fast enough, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But again, you know, again, like I mentioned, you know, uh, when when customers see ANSYS and they see all these different tool names, and they mm-hmm. get pretty scared or they get pretty mm-hmm. intimidated. But again, the way that ANSYS has been doing it for the last several years is they they connect them very well together. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is, you know, a company can leverage all these tools. And like you said, they don't have to go down to a rat uh, or dead end uh, mm-hmm. anytime they go into one particular workflow. Cool. So anybody that's interested in learning more should definitely sign up for our webinar. And if you and sign up even if you can't make it um, uh, at, the, at the appointed time. When is it? Uh, on the 14th, which is in two days. But if you sign up, you have access to the recording as well afterwards. And then we really recommend that uh, you check out our landing page for Discovery Live where you can get more info. And we, we can definitely uh, get you a demo of it, or you can log on. Is, is the online demo capability still there that ANSYS had for a while? Yeah, you can yeah. you can try it out for 15 days. 15 days, yeah. So this is one of those tools where we're not going to come out and, and do like a four-hour demo for you. Um, definitely attend the webinar, watch the recording, or you can just try it out yourself. Um, because it's it's really easy to use, um, and it's been it's continues to surprise us in its 
capabilities and its ease and power of just being able to do that preliminary look at things even in the in the thermal world now which we're really excited about having i'm really excited about having our design and product engineers start using it because thermal is an issue uh, that we have with a lot of the products that we do design and test on and it's probably good to mention even though Mm -hmm. we mentioned it in the last podcast but some of our listeners may not have heard that but it's really running space claim i mean space claim is the geometry engine of discovery live and it's really the user interface is space claim um it's uh been simplified a little bit for the the default views but the standard space claim menus are available up at the top so if people are already familiar with space claim they're well down the path to using discovery live and even if they haven't used space claim it's very easy to pick up and use so space claim is the ansys geometry tool uh Mm -hmm. of the present and the future yeah, if you're not using space claim, you need to, and uh, and once you do, then discovery becomes very easy, and it's certainly something that's relatively intuitive for design and product engineers that spend most of their time in CAD. Um, so you're not you're not jumping over to like this advanced uh, user interface with 5,000 drop downs and two million options. So it's uh, it's really straightforward and easy to use. Uh, anything else you guys want to add before we uh, move on to the news? I guess along the same vein is just that in addition to the thermal capability, there's also Good CFD, fluid flow, both internal and external, mm-hmm. as well as static structural and modal analysis capability. And we'll be covering all of those. We already covered the stress, right, was the first one, um, webinar, and then we'll be covering the other ones uh, in coming sessions. I, I think it was the fluids that we covered. Fluids, fluids went first, you're right. Fluids went first. Uh, static structural is on the 28th of this month. And then I think we're coming up uh, in April and finishing up to lo- – no, we're doing vibration and static structural at the same time. So that that will be the last one on the 28th. So definitely check out the one on the 14th. Check out the one on the 28th. Or if you want to learn more, just reach out to us, and we, we love showing it off. It's a very powerful tool. Exciting stuff. All right. So uh, let me do news. It's pretty pretty quick. Uh, there's not a lot of news to report, so that makes it easy for us. The ANSYS stock, we always like to start off with that. Uh, today, I just checked uh, before we started the podcast, it had peaked at 171.92 earlier in the day. That's an all-time high for ANSYS stock price, so it's amazingly good, very strong and robust. Uh, there was a call with investors that they always do with the CEO and the CFO and those folks. Um, So you can search the interweb for that and download and listen to that. If you really want to know what the official uh, thoughts are on product development, sales, growth, acquisition, you know, these are the kind of questions that the investors, uh, investor community asks and that the the people, the senior management of ANSYS answers. So if you really, and it's, and I found it to be quite aligned with what, uh, what said one-on-one as well. So it's, it's kind of nice to see what they're thinking and, and hearing. Um, and, uh, you know, we can't really talk too much about it because uh, we don't know that much about a lot of the in, inner workings of the business side of things. But I just wanted to reiterate how excited PADT is to be part of getting ANSYS to $1 billion in sales last year. Um, it's a strong company with a really bright future, and we're really excited to be able to take part of it and, and help them grow even further. So it's, a, it's been a fun fun ride, and I, we can't wait for the next billion dollars. Uh, I wish, wish it was going into our checking account, but <laughs> we do fine uh, with our relationship with ANSYS, so we do enjoy it. 
uh, I checked the ANSYS news feed. They haven't actually released anything since they announced. So I, I, the, oh, they must all be busy talking to investors and such, so nothing there. Uh, there wasn't a couple blog posts worth noting. Um, one of PADT's uh, favorite people at ANSYS, Margaret Schmidt, she's the chief of staff to the CEO. She wrote a really cool article about women in engineering, um, and, and she's kind of the uh, one of those fantastic electrical, she's an electrical engineer, but we like her anyway, uh, who has done amazing things in her career, technically, business-wise, and, and now helping ANSYS you know, make it to a billion dollars and beyond. So her perspective is kind of interesting and uh, definitely a good read for anybody interested in kind of the career of engineering and how it's changed and how women play a role in it over time. Also, we mentioned the last podcast, part two of thermomechanical simulation, PCBs. Part three got released uh, since that last podcast. So that one takes a look at vibration. That's in the ANSYS blog. And then there's a really cool article about spray modeling in ANSYS Fluent, you know, the fine mist uh, type of modeling. We're seeing this more and more as an application that customers are interested in modeling. And uh, we highly recommend you check that article out as well. Uh, we didn't really. We've been so busy. We haven't really written much uh, in a while. Hopefully, we'll get some more out um, in the future before the next podcast that we will share with you. But that's all the news I got. Um, I did want to mention one other thing, which is that we are still hiring. I want to make sure what positions are open. Um, we do have a, a application and support engineer position open for Ansys. Uh, we have a manufacturing engineering position open, so if you know anybody that's interested in 3D printing or additive manufacturing and wants to be part of our team, which is just as strong as our ANSYS team, but focused on that, for sure we're interested in that. Um, we are definitely looking for a low-frequency elect electromagnetics application engineer. Uh, if you know anybody that lives in that low-frequency realm that wants to be part of a great team and work with the likes of everybody you hear on this podcast. And you can even be on the podcast. That's a reason to join PADT right on its own. Um, please do let us know. We, that's a, um, we're getting so many customers that love Ansys Maxwell, and uh, our guys know it well, but they're getting stretched thin. We need, we need more help in that area because so much is going on there. So those are the, the openings that we have uh, that are technical. We're also looking for an accounting specialist, but we're almost filling that position and a uh, 3D printer salesperson. So do check out our jobs uh, posting at the bottom of our website if you want to know where we're hiring. PADT is growing. We just added a whole bunch of people this last couple months, and uh, we continue to grow some more. And that leads us to the goodbyes. So um, I'll go ahead and start with you, Manoj. Uh, as usual, uh, say goodbye and uh, any words of wisdom or joke you want to share. Sure. Well, thank you guys for being on the podcast. Um, you know, I guess my only advice is we've been talking about Nimbix for HPC and Discovery Live as this new kind of paradigm. And I think it's going to take all of us, uh, whether we're talking about simulation or other areas, to take ourselves, you know, and think high level, right? Take ourselves outside the box and think about new ways and novel ways of these, how these tools and these processes can help us out because, you know, following the same path over and over might be great, might be comfortable, but, you know, sometimes we have to take a step back and try something new. That's so true. Gosh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Ted? Well, I'll go with something a lot more simple. If you're constructing something and maybe uh, it can be applied to other things in life, but the old adage, measure twice, cut once. <laughs> Are you talking about me scheduling this meeting? 
more like weekend projects. <laughs> you can work around the house. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> um, yeah, I almost, I almost cut a power. I was I was I was trimming my fruit trees this weekend. I almost cut a power cord, which is a different kind of measure twice cut once. But um, I, I managed to at the last minute realize I had it in the jaws of my clippers. Uh, Tom, do you have anything to uh, share? Um, just to say, I've always enjoyed doing these, and uh, I'm really excited to see all the stuff that's going on with Discovery Live and the democratization of of analysis and seeing more people get involved in it is great to see. Cool. Um, and this is Eric Miller saying goodbye. And the thing I'm going to do is totally, totally different. I, I was lucky enough to be on a different podcast uh, the the other day, um, and it, we recorded it over at uh, Grand Canyon University, and it was a, it was a great experience, and we it, we talked about everything under the sun, and uh, it was it was a lot of fun, but. Um, being there at the university, we gave the kids a chance. It was a mechanical engineering class, I think, on entrepreneurship or something like that. And uh, we were given the other a chance to have them ask some questions. And sometimes we can get a little, I don't know, negative about the future and kids tomorrow and how lazy these damn millennials are, even though I don't think they're millennials in college anymore. And uh, I was blown away by how great the questions were that I got asked. Um, the the podcast is called Figure It Figure It Out. I it's it has nothing to do with engineering unless I'm on it. I've been on it twice now, but it's it's mostly about um, figuring our modern world out. And and I really enjoy it. The the two hosts are fantastic. Um, so I, I do recommend that you take a listen to it. Um, and they they ask they ask a lot of questions that you might uh, contemplate when you're hanging out with your friends by the fireplace and pondering life. It's, it's a lot of fun. But the, the takeaway I had from that particular discussion wasn't about all the future stuff we talked about as far as technology and the impact of technology on society. It was how smart and thoughtful the kids in the class were. And it, and it, it made me, and there were a lot of them, and they asked a lot of really good questions. And even afterwards, they come up and talked some more. So so don't despair. There's there's smart kids out there. Not everybody's smart. Even my generation, not everybody was smart. But I was really pleased with how thoughtful and caring they were. And we talked a lot about about not being so selfish and about giving back and about creating a better world. And that was really kind of rewarding for me uh, to 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 be part of that discussion and to see how great those kids were so that's my little parting shot we will see you in two weeks uh talk a little bit more i think about discovery live and i'm not sure what the other topic will be we'll hopefully figure it out an hour before the podcast so have a great uh, two weeks and we'll see everybody next time Thank you for joining us for the All Things Ansys podcast, episode 15. If you would like to watch our Discovery Live webinars, you can do so at www.brighttalk.com and search for Discovery Live and PADT. Also, to give Nimbix a look, go to www.nimbix.net, and there's lots of really good information there that helps you visualize what we're talking about. And we also forgot to mention that Minoj did do a demo and talk about Nimbix in August of last year. And that is also on www.brighttalk.com. And just search for Nimbix and you'll find it. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with ANSYS, Inc. And the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only. 
For more information, visit www.padtinc.com blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.